And today we want to talk about something and consider something that is very, very important. It's of historical importance. History was in the making. You'll notice the title of the message is The First Missionary Journey. It was the first missionary journey sent out from a church of Paul and Barnabas. Basically, it covers two chapters in the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 14. This whole idea of this missionary enterprise and outreach was conceived in prayer and in fasting, and it was directed by the Holy Spirit. In more modern times, a man named William Carey was called the father of modern missions. On the basis of his study of the Word of God, he saw it was incumbent upon Christian people today to get the message out, to be missionaries. However, in the late 1700s, many Christians, even pastors, did not understand that. They did not believe, really, that this is for us what we want to study today. The first of a great movement. In fact, one of the older ministers told Carrie, when God gets ready to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. (laughs) So that was the attitude a lot of the people had. It's not up to us. It's not our responsibility. The early church needed to be brought along step by step. The early church needed to learn. Jesus meant it literally when he said, go everywhere, preach to everybody, tell them the good news, tell them they need a change and they need a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for their sins and who victoriously rose from the dead. This was several years after the death and resurrection of Christ where this wonderful change came to the people. It was a new beginning for many, many people as the missionaries went out and proclaimed Jesus. In Acts then, chapter 13, we read about how God brought this about. It must be very important that he went to such lengths to do this. The message must be essential and a message that we need to spread throughout the entire world. Recently, I spoke about Cornelius, Gentile centurion who was received as a Christian, an uncircumcised Gentile. So Peter and those with him and then eventually the early church learned that God was opening things up to the Gentiles. They should have known that from the beginning, but they did not. And so God had to bring them along step by step. Acts chapter 13 then, beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church, which is at Antioch, Now, later, there's another Antioch. This is the metropolitan, the big city of Antioch in what is now then Syria. 
I think it's now in Lebanon. It was a big city, a busy city, a commercial city, a city of governmental power. <clears throat> and there was a Christian church there. And there were in the church that were, was at Antioch, certain prophets <clears throat> and teachers like Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger means black. And Lucius from Cyrene. And Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. Later we see he's called Paul. Saul is the Hebrew form. Then Paul is a, a Greek word that means little. Perhaps Paul was little of stature. As they ministered to the Lord, that's what we should do, what churches ought to do, serve the Lord, minister to him, and fasted. Sometimes that's appropriate. While they were doing this, the Holy Spirit said, notice God, the Holy Spirit steps in they're drawing close to him in prayer and fasting, and now he tells them something. Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, departed. So we see God's hand in this, don't we? This was God's will, that they go out as missionaries. This will has not been revoked. We are to continue in this tradition of sending out missionaries and being missionaries. Every Christian, I believe, is a missionary. We should tell others about Jesus and we should live a life that shows his light. So we see this historic event taking place. It's interesting to me, really doesn't say anything about setting up a committee and a missionary society. <laughs> they just sent them out. Apparently they believed God would take care of them and guide them and help them. Maybe some of them helped them financially. It doesn't say they did, but it's possible. And we know that Paul often worked in his leather working that he might help support himself. So anyway, back to verse 4. Being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, they departed into Seleucia. And from there, that was on the coast, west of Antioch, a little ways, from there they sailed to Cyprus, you know, in the geography, Cyprus is an island there, a little to the west of Syria and Lebanon. So Paul and Barnabas, on their first missionary journey, they, they sailed to this island. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John as their servant. That was John Mark. He helped... I guess with cooking and other things they needed. So here they are now on the island of Cyprus. 
and John is helping them. When they had gone through the island to Paphos, that's more toward the west, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. In the Hebrew, it's Joshua, Bar-Joshua. Bar means son of. He was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus. Paulus was the head guy. He was a proconsul, a prudent or wise person who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Notice how it says they preached the word of God in verse 5. And in verse 7, it says the head man of the island, he calls for them. He wants to hear what Paul has to say, the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, you see that word translates into sorcerer, Elymas. So he's known as Bar-Jesus or Elymas. For so his name by translation is, he withstood them seeking to turn away the proconsul, the deputy, from the faith. Now, that was pretty serious. He had influence with Sergius Paulus. He didn't want to lose that influence. He didn't want Paul to have any influence whatsoever on the proconsul. So he did what he could to stop him from believing in and following Jesus. Wouldn't you say that's a pretty bold thing to do? <laughs> Wouldn't you say that God would take an extremely dim view of such a thing? Well, he did. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Now here's the first point at which we find the name change. And now Paul is working very much with Gentiles. It's appropriate to call him Paul. And in his own sight, too, he had great humility. He was little in his own sight. He was not a proud person. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Ah, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come on you. You will be witnesses to me. Okay, now he's talking, has this opportunity, and the Holy Spirit is filling him, helping him to know what to say. He set his eyes on him that is, on the sorcerer. And he said, so what he says, guided apparently by the Holy Spirit from what it says here, it's true. So he tells Bar-Jesus, O oh, you full of all subtlety and all mischief, you child of the devil, <clears throat> you enemy of all righteousness. <laughs> Those are really strong words, aren't they? Will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now look, the hand of the Lord is on you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. So he was stricken blind as a judgment at least a temporary judgment here. <clears throat> God indeed took a dim view of what he'd been doing. 
fighting the word of God, changing it. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, <clears throat> he believed. <laughs> so that helped Sergius Paulus to be a believer when he saw this judgment that fell upon this sorcerer, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So that is a great thing that happened. Conversion of the headman of the island of Cyprus. Later on, jumping ahead, on when Paul and Silas went on the journey, Barnabas took his nephew, John Mark, and they went back to Cyprus. And there are Christians in Cyprus today who honor Barnabas. God must have used him very powerfully not only at this point, but later on, when he and John Mark returned. Now, when Paul and his group loosed from Paphos, the western city there in Cyprus, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. Now, that's a part of what is now uh, Turkey area. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So they didn't have their, their servant there, the nephew, anymore. Later, he kind of redeemed himself, and he did go with Barnabas, and later he was reconciled to Paul. But at this point, he left them. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. So here's the second Antioch that I mentioned earlier. The big metropolitan governmental mercantile city of Antioch that they had gone from was in Syria. But now they come to this smaller Antioch in a place called Pisidia. And they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and they sat down. Remember they'd first taken the word to the Jews there in Cyprus and now same pattern and that's the pattern Paul would use. They'd go to the meeting of the fellow Jews. They'd preach Christ to them. They'd often have believers, but they'd often have fellow Jews that would not believe and would resist them. So anyway, they went into this synagogue, this Jewish church, on the Sabbath day. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, it's normally what they did, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, You men and brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, go ahead. It's like a visiting pastor shows up and the church or the pastor suggests, Would you like to say something? A thing of courtesy. Well, it was a great opening for Paul, and this normally would happen. Then Paul, he stood up, and he motioned with his hand, and he said. Now here we find a great sermon. I believe it's a typical kind of sermon that Paul would give in the various cities, in the Jewish synagogues. It's given at length here. It's very important. It gives us an insight, not only to truth, but how Paul operated. He motioned with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, 
pay attention. The God of this people, of Israel, he chose our fathers, and he exalted the people when they lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. What he does, he starts on common ground, pointing out their ancestry, points out what God had done for them as Jewish people. And with a high arm, he brought them out of it. You see, with the plagues and things, God, God caused his people to escape from Egypt. In about the time of 40 years, he suffered their behavior in the desert. So they were in the desert, as you know, about 40 years because they had not believed in God and gone in and conquered the land right away as they should have. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, that would be the Canaanites, the Amorites, and others, he divided their land to them by lot. And after he gave to them judges after that about the space of 450 years, See, that was many years after they conquered the land, and you read about that in the book of Judges, until Samuel the prophet. And you can read starting in 1 Samuel at that point. And afterward, they desired a king, and God gave to them Saul, the son of Kis, a man from the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And you remember that story, don't you, how that they wanted a king like the nations had a king. Samuel warned them the kind of king he would turn out to be, but they insisted on the king, and God said, okay, give him a king. Well, they got Saul, and Saul was the king for about 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up to them David to be their king to whom also he gave witness and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who shall fulfill all my will. From this man, seed, God has, according to his promise, raised up to Israel a savior, Jesus. So he's used all this, points out the promise to David, and God fulfilled that promise, a savior, Jesus, and I'm gonna tell you about him in so many words. As I said, that's the Greek form of the Old Testament, Joshua. It means God is savior. So now he's gonna tell them about Jesus after laying this foundation and commonality with them. When John first preached before his coming, he's talking about John the Baptist, the baptism of repentance to all people of Israel and as John completed his course, he said, Who do you think that I am? I am not he. But look, there comes one after me, the shoes of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brothers, <clears throat> children of the stock of Abraham, and whoever among you fears God, to you, this word of salvation is sent. For they who live at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, who were read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. 
And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired Pilate that he should be killed. And when they had completed all that was written about him, so he's indicating in the Old Testament this was prophesied, they took him down from the tree. Remember, whoever hangs on a tree is cursed. He took our sin upon himself. And they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. <laughs> you see how beautifully he brings in Jesus. This was prophesied. You killed him. God raised him up. And he was seen many days from of them who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. This isn't just a theory. These, this really happened, and they're witnesses who can testify to this. And we declare to you the glad tidings, the good news, how that the promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled the same to us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. In other words, he has promised to come from the ancestry of David. Wherefore, he says also in another psalm, you shall not allow your Holy One to see corruption. It's in Psalm 16. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell on sleep, and he was laid to his fathers, and he saw corruption. In other words, David died, and his body saw corruption. It decayed. But he, whom God raised again, Jesus, he saw no corruption. Though he was in the tomb for a while, the ravages of decay, you see, had not set in on his body. Now he comes to the application here. Therefore be it known to you, men and brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. We sang about that. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing because it affects us all, does it not? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What a beautiful and gracious thing that God would forgive us. And by him, all who believe, those who trust in Jesus, by him, all who believe are justified from everything from which you could not be justified through the law of Moses. We pointed out that recently, didn't we? By the law of Moses, we cannot be justified. You see, it shows us up to have fallen short of that beautiful and righteous law. So people that try to justify themselves by being good, they could not succeed 100%, so we've all failed. The law shows us that we're sinners. The law shows us we need forgiveness. <laughs> we need eternal life. We need the very presence of God in our lives, day by day. Now he gives a warning here. A warning, you better believe what I've just said. You better receive it because 
Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which was spoken by the prophets, in the prophets. Now he's quoting from Habakkuk. He's referring to that. Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish, because I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it to you. So he ends with a warning. You better believe what I just told you. <laughs> and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So apparently as a group, the Gentiles were more responsive than the Jewish people. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. So you see, it caused a big split in the synagogue. There were those who opposed, like Elymas had done, but there were also those who accepted, like Sergius Paulus had done. They followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. They gave them encouraging words, keep on believing in Jesus and following him. And the next Sabbath day, there came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews, that is the unbelieving ones, no doubt, they saw the crowds, they were filled with envy. <laughs> it's one of the big reasons why they killed Jesus. The leaders were envious. And so we find a replication of this. And they spoke against those things which are spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas became bold and they said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, Romans 1.16, first to the Jews. But seeing as you put it away from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Look, we're turning to the Gentiles. And that's true today. If people refuse Jesus, they're judging themselves unworthy of everlasting life, of forgiveness in heaven. So we find great warning here and yet great promise that people even today may trust in Jesus and be saved, be forgiven, have God with them, have purpose in life, and eventually go to heaven. The Lord has thus, thus commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles. Yeah, it says that in the Old Testament, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained or appointed to eternal life believed. That's an interesting phrase. I won't go into it, but you can give it some thought. But then there was persecution, it goes on to say. And then they left, and they shook off the dust like Jesus had earlier told them to when there were people in places that wouldn't receive them. And they left there, and they came to Iconium. Today that city is called Konya, and it's one of the cities there, big city in Turkey. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So in spite of all this persecution, 
Their hearts were overflowing. They were rejoicing in the Lord. God had used them. There was now a church established. There were enemies, but Jesus warned that that would happen. So you can read on here what, what continued. They went to Iconium. They went to Lystra. They went to Derby. And at Derby and Lystra, we had an amazing thing that happened. There sat a certain man of Lystra, powerless in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. If you remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, I spoke about that. A similar thing. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, you remember, they went to the temple. There was a man from birth. He'd never walked. And you remember how they had no alms to give him, but such as they had, they gave him. The name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he did. Peter reached down, perhaps helped his faith a little bit, helped him up. And then he leaped up and he jumped around and he was praising God. Well, a similar thing happened here. But here, Paul didn't have to reach down and encourage his faith. What happened? Verse 9, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly looking at him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. It was a little different than the other situation. Paul saw that here was a man who had faith. He could be healed. He didn't need to be assisted. He said with a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. (laughs) Again, like the other one, this is fantastic. A mighty miracle. And what a witness to those people. Earlier, the judgment of blindness on Elymas. Here, a miracle of healing of a man who had never walked in his whole life. Now he's jumping around. He's praising God. And when the people saw that what Paul had done lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lacaonia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. (laughs) So they were thinking Paul and Barnabas were gods. There were the Greek gods and then the Roman counterparts. Speaks of Jupiter and Mercurius in the old King James. The Greek, be better to translate it not Jupiter, but Zeus, and Mercurius, instead of that, Hermes. Now, Hermes, or Mercurius, were called the the messenger of the gods, one who talked a lot, as well as doing other things. So they thought Paul was Mercurius, or Hermes, the messenger. Then the priest of Jupiter, of Zeus, who was before the city, he brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and he would have done sacrifice with the people. You know, it looks like Paul didn't make it quite as clear as John and Peter had done 
<clears throat> earlier at the temple in Acts 3, they told that man, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. It doesn't say that Paul used that terminology here. Maybe he missed a little beat here, I don't know. But at any rate, he certainly told them about Jesus, at least eventually so. So here they are coming, they want to sacrifice to them as Greek gods, as Roman gods. That would be a terrible thing if they allowed that, wouldn't it? You remember one of the King Herods in the preceding chapter, Acts 12? They started calling him a god, and he liked it. <laughs> and he got severely punished. Eventually he had to die. So what happens with Paul then? When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard... They tore their clothes, they ran in among the people yelling out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of similar passions along with you, and we preach to you that you should turn away from these futilities, these idols, these, these wrong beliefs, to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein who in times past allowed all nations to walk after their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and that he did good, and he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So they did what they could to stop this. And with these sayings, they barely restrained the people that they had not done sacrifice to them. But then what happened? <laughs> There came there certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing he'd been dead. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, he says, once I was stoned, this is what he's talking about. So they drug him out, they thought they'd stoned him to death. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he got up, and he came into the city, the next day he left and Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many people, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much trouble, tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed them elders in every church, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So churches were established, leadership was established. God had worked mightily in this first missionary journey. As you read on, you find that then they went back to Jerusalem and they told the church there how God had used them and how the Gentiles had responded. So God was honored and glorified. First missionary journey was a tremendous success, a great example that the church needs to follow and as individuals that we need to embrace. Think of the wonderful change of hundreds of lives when hearts are open to Jesus and then how that can flow from them to others, flows down through the ages. It's not been revoked. We are each to be missionaries as we trust in Jesus. Even though there's opposition. God can take care of the opposition.
We're not to tamper with his word. We're not to change it. We're not to pervert it. We're not to twist it. We're not to twist it in a way that it justifies our own thinking, but to accept it as it is and to believe in Jesus of whom we sang earlier.